This is a Vault Studios production. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of experts in their field and do not reflect the opinions or views of Vault Studios or Tegna. Additionally, all suspects are presumed innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, and any and all crimes are alleged until a court finds otherwise. This is Anything You Say, an inside look at the tactics the experts use to get a suspect talking. I know, I know you want to tell us. I, I, can, I can see it in your face. So few people will believe that a person would confess to something they didn't do, especially when the stakes are pretty high. You do have a right to remain silent. This week on Anything You Say, you'll hear about a tragic house fire that happened in Georgia back in 2016. You'll hear how investigators carefully question the only survivor of the fire. And with the help of an expert, we'll also analyze how he answers those questions. It's February 10th, 2016, just before Valentine's Day, and there's been a fatal fire in Tucker, Georgia. Location emergency. 1058 Point of Ridge, house on fire. There's kids trapped inside. And the house is on fire? Yes, everybody's trapped inside. They're not responding. Okay, so you see... The on fire. I mean, it's literally burning down. Everybody's trapped inside. How many people? Four, at least. One, but it's going to catch on fire. The trees are catching on fire. Please, please. They're they're on the way, okay? Honey. You can't get the people out? Well, no, ma'am. The whole house is on fire. Okay. Oh, my God, they're all dying. Please hurry. Are they not trying to get out? We don't know what's going on. We just can't get in. Please hurry. Okay. A wife and mother, 36-year-old Kathy Patterson and her two daughters, Kayla, age 12, Madeline, age 9, perish inside the home. Standing in front of his burned-down home, 54-year-old Brent Patterson tells reporters about what happened the night before the night when the flames broke out. Opened the front door and everything exploded. But that's a different story than the sole survivor of the blaze recalls just a few months later inside a small room across from detectives. Brent Patterson tells detectives he was asleep with his wife when he heard a noise outside. He goes down the stairs to investigate and he opens the front door. As soon as he steps outside, He hears a whoosh sound, and his house, it's engulfed in flames. He says he tries to get back inside, but he can't. As soon as it exploded, I tried to go back in, Uh and I got my feet in. Okay. I got my feet in, and it was just like, it was so hot that my body wouldn't let me go back in. Uh And they told me if I had succeeded in getting in, I would have died on stairs. Uh The firefighters told me that. And then when they got there... You've seen all the pictures, haven't you? Most yeah. Okay, because, I mean, it was just like a fireball in the front of the house. The firefighters, nobody could get in there. Okay. And we knew people were in there. Right. You know? Right. Um, I mean, you, you were just burned to death. Mm-hmm. So when you opened the door, you heard the loud, what did yeah. it sound like? It sounds like a, like, some, like a, a crash, like glass breaking, shattering something. It's December 17th, 2016. And Brent Patterson is sitting inside a small interrogation room at the Gwinnett County Police Department. But I'm talking about when you opened the front door, not when you were in bed. Then I heard a, it was like a big whoosh. 
Okay. And then everything was on fire. Everything. So everywhere. that's when you turned around. And tried to get, run back in upstairs. And I started yelling for him to get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. Mark McClish, a statement analyst with Advanced Interviewing Concepts and StatementAnalysis.com, reviewed Brent Patterson's interrogation. His demeanor that he, you know, would laugh a lot. He seemed very relaxed and I don't expect him to be, you know, crying through this interview, but I respect him to be a little more uh, solemn with his answers. And so it, it just didn't quite add up. And, and you know, if he was having problems with his family, if he did set the fire, if he did purposely get rid of them, then that would kind of fall into place there. It doesn't mean he did it, obviously, but it is a little bit unusual for him to be... Uh, you know, joking around that way. And again, that's something we can see. Is that part of his personality? Is, is that how he handles traumatic events? Uh, if that's his way of handling something like that. McClish, a retired supervisory deputy U.S. Marshal, has been analyzing statements for a couple decades now. His first priority as an expert in the field is to listen. And that's what he teaches others about analyzing someone's words and their phrasing. Uh, for example, the word never does not mean no. Therefore, you cannot use the word never in lieu of the word no, but the stuff that people sometimes do this. You know, if he's asked, if a suspect is asked the question, did you, take, did you take the money? They might say, I never took the money. Well, the word never means not ever. So they're talking about their entire lifetime. I'm not asking about your entire lifetime. I'm asking about the specific case, the specific robbery. Did you take the money? It's hard for them to say no, because people generally don't want to lie. So a lot of times people use the word never in lieu of the word no. And it often fools the interview into believing the person's given a good denial when it's a very you know, poor denial. McClish thoroughly listens to and dissects Brent Patterson's interview. He starts with the beginning of his story to police. Patterson talks about the night of the fire as he and his wife and kids are getting ready for bed. So you, um, did everybody go upstairs at the same everybody time? Everybody went up at the same time. Okay, and you, and you we, said you weren't sure if they took a bath that night. I'm not so sure. So everybody, what did everybody do? Went to bed. We laid down, went to sleep. Pajamas? Yeah, yeah. Well, she made me wear underwear because okay. I had girls. Right. Because I, I wouldn't. Okay. It's a good thing I did. Right. <laughs> so. But yes, I mean, she always wore pajamas. And the girls either wore my T-shirts or pajamas. Right. Okay. Well, let me back up to you. Yeah. You said it's a good thing you did. You mean that night? Yeah, we because that burned. Was, that was it, what you had. Privately. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's okay. just how it is. Right. His statement, which is kind of just out of the blue, uh, well, she made me wear underwear because I had girls. Um, it's something, as an interviewer, I'd be asking about. Everything a person says has a meaning. He wasn't specifically asked what he was wearing. He just volunteered that information. And there's a reason why he volunteered that. Um, I'm not certain why he said it, but just the fact he, he mentioned that odd statement, there's absolutely a reason why he said it. And that's what our job as an interviewer would be to find out, you know, why did he put that into his, into his story. Patterson continues to tell the two detectives what he and his family did that night. Like 8.20 or something, I heard that loud, sounds like a crash to me. It was loud enough to scare me and wake me up because I was asleep, okay? okay? And so I slid off the bottom of the bed because Madeline's there, I can't jump down. Mm-hmm. Slid off the bottom of the bed, ran down the stairs, opened the door, stepped out. Okay. And it exploded. Well, let's back up to when you heard that loud noise. Yeah. Did you, did you have an idea of where it came no. from? 
I just heard a loud noise. It, it sounded like it was outside. It did not sound inside. Okay. okay. It didn't sound inside, or I would have looked inside. <laughs> okay. okay. So your bedroom door, was it open or closed at open. that time? Oh, no, it was closed. It was closed. It's always closed. It's closed. It's always closed. So you there. went out. Did you close the door behind you, or did you leave it open? I left it open. Okay. I left it open. I had, you know, I was rushing, uh -huh. and I wore contacts, and they weren't in, because you don't, I don't want my contacts to be What he does there is, um, he does have a fragmented sentence. We went up to, and then... And then, you know, and so we ask ourselves, when a story's coming from memory, it should flow very smoothly. Now, again, if a person experienced something traumatic, that may affect their memory. It had been some time, I believe, when he gave his interview since, his, since the fire occurred. So we expect it to flow a little bit more smoothly. Why not say when I went upstairs or we went upstairs? And then he says, uh, you know, this was one of those idiosyncrasies. Uh, but other people use the phrase, you know, because they want you to take for granted what they're saying is true. But the truth is we don't know. You know, we don't know unless you tell me. And so we have to see, does that appear very often in this statement, that phrase, uh, you know, which I don't think it did show up very often. You know, he said, I heard that loud, that loud, and he paused and says, sounds like a crash to me. Now, when a person's given a statement, it should be in the past tense. He used the present tense verb sounds. Now, it's possible he was quoting himself he was thinking about that very moment when he heard the sound what he was saying to himself it's we're not quite clear if that's what he's doing or if he's simply using you know present tense language now present tense language will show up uh, later on in, in his statement and the last thing he did where he, he said uh you know enough to scare me because uh, i was asleep it's the word cause that i'm looking at you know when people give a statement generally they just be telling us what happened what they saw, what they experienced. They shouldn't be explaining things. Well, people explain things in the case of uh, some sensitivity within their statements. Again, it's another area you want to ask a few more questions about. You know, because I was asleep. Now, if it says it woke him up, then the presumption is he was asleep. So why does he have to tell us again, you know, because I was asleep? And that's something I would want to check on because he said, I think it was at 8 o'clock and at 8.20 or something, he said he heard the loud sound. Did he fall asleep in 20 minutes? I mean, a lot of people do. You know, a lot of people don't. For a lot of people, 820 is still pretty early time to go to bed. So it's just a few more questions we'd want to ask to see what was going on during that time period. McClish says many times memory dictates what tense a suspect uses in their answers. Well, the story's coming from memory. Uh, it'll be like a parade passed in front of them as a person describes what happened. They'll say, then this happened, then this happened. And everything will be in sequential order, and everything will be in the past tense. I mean, that's based on the rules of grammar. You're required to use past tense language when you talk about something in the past. But when a person is making up a story, or maybe just a portion of their story, uh, once they get to that part they don't want to talk about, and so they're going to make it up, that parade disappears. They're now talking about, you know, it's all coming from their imagination. And so they sometimes unknowingly start to use present tense language because they can't relate to the incident because it didn't happen or what they're describing to us didn't happen. And so that's one of the things we look for in a statement is everything in the past tense, which is what it, what it should be. He also uses the present tense when he tells the detective about leaving his bed to investigate that loud noise with his daughter at the end of the bed when he gets up. This is where we have some more uh, present tense language. As you said, you know, he said, you know, Madeline 
is there. Well, it should be Madeline was there, you know, at the foot of the bed. I can't jump down. It should be I couldn't jump down, you know, because my daughter's there. But he uses present tense language. And then he goes on again to explain himself. So and he says at the bottom of the bed. Well, who's at the bottom of the bed? He didn't say so. I was at the bottom of the bed after he supposedly slid out. The next sentence ran down the stairs. Well, who ran down the stairs? You know, in English, we have the understood subject, the you sometimes, but in statement analysis, nothing is understood. We only believe what people tell us. If you tell me I ran down the stairs, I believe you. So I slid off the bottom of the bed because my little girl can't jump down. Mm-hmm. Slid off the bottom of the bed, ran down the stairs, opened the door, stepped out, okay. and it exploded. If you just tell me ran down the stairs, I believe somebody ran down the stairs, but I can't believe that the subject ran down the stairs because he didn't say, I ran down the stairs. And he goes on to say, I opened the door, stepped out, and exploded. Again, he didn't say, I opened the door, I stepped outside. And so he's not committed to that statement that he did those things. And again, he used another present tense verb, open. Uh, open the door it should be, you know, I opened the door and then stepped outside. So it raises a lot of questions as to if that portion's coming from memory, if he's being truthful there because he uses present tense verbs and he doesn't put himself into the statement because of the missing pronoun I. In fact, speaking to the media 10 months earlier in the aftermath of the deadly blaze, he said the same thing using the same present tense verb. Open the front door and everything exploded. McClish, he also listens closely to Patterson's use of pronouns, or in this case, the lack thereof. He couldn't say, you know, I came down the stairs or I stepped outside. He would just say, ran down the stairs, stepped outside. Well, you know, if he didn't do that, then it's hard to say I did it. And so sometimes deceptive people leave the pronoun I out of their statement. Patterson tells detectives he heard that sound, which McClish says gives some insight into where the sound may have been coming from. Well, the pronoun this indicates closeness, and the pronoun that indicates distance. Now, they both indicate specificity. So he said, I heard that sound. And he may be specifying what sound he heard, the one that was he believed to be outside. But again, we wonder, you know, we look to see, do they use the correct pronouns? You know, you wouldn't expect a person who was mugged to say this man, because this it indicates closeness. It should be a man. Never seen this man before. Don't show any association. From Klish, it just seems a bit off to use the pronoun that. Um, again, it, it may be fine because in any case specificity, which one he's talking about. When you stepped out in the hallway. Um, stepped the doorway, you mean? I'm talking about from the bedroom. Yeah. You heard the noise. You split out the yeah. end of the bed. Yeah. You go. Yeah. You open the door. What did you smell? Did you see? Nothing. Did you feel? Nothing. Nothing. There was nothing. Okay. There's, there was no There was no fire. There was no smoke. There was no smell. No fire detector going off. We have a CO2 detector downstairs that goes off like a siren. You know those. Mm-hmm. And nothing was going off. Okay. Nothing. And was the uh, smoke detector in working order? Yeah. It's the battery had been changed and it was, Yeah. It worked. Yeah. When had you tested it last? Or had you had about like six months ago, I changed the battery. Okay. Okay. So you went downstairs. You said you didn't hear that go off for your stairs. Nothing. Stairs. Nothing went off. There was no noise. Okay. So nothing. as you went down the stairs, yes. could you see anything, smell anything? No. Nothing. While he says there was no noise, no smell, he also describes the blaze like a fireball by the time the fire department arrived on the scene. 
But what strikes McClish about the following statement is the way he describes his family, who, remember, is perishing inside those flames. It was just like a fireball in the front of the house. The firefighters, nobody could get in there. Okay. And we knew people were in there. He said it was uh, just like a fireball in front of the house. The firefighters, nobody could get in there. And, I, and they knew people were in there. And yeah, it's just a very distant term uh, for your family. I mean, you should be saying, and they knew my family was in there. That's what most fathers, husbands would be saying, but he just referred to them as people. It reminded me of the uh, Jeffrey McDonald case, you know, back in 1970, the Fort Bragg captain, army doctor who said some hippies broke into his house, attacked him, stabbed him and killed his family. And when he got on the phone to call for help, he told the operator, some people have been stabbed. Not my family has been stabbed. We have been stabbed, but just some people. Um, a very distant, somewhat dissing term. And it, it just surprised me when I saw that in there, that he would refer to his family as people. Well, it indicates, um, you know, a lack of a relationship. Uh, what we would look for them is, was there problems, you know, with, with his family, with his wife, with his kids? Was something going on that he then... You know, perhaps purposely set this fire, purposely kill them to get rid of them. But that's what we're looking for when we hear, you know, him refer to his family as people. There's a reason why he said it that way, and that's what we're trying to figure out. And again, it's an indication that perhaps you know, there was some, some discontent in that household. Detectives begin to zero in on Patterson's two versions of his story, one from the day of the fire and his different account during this interrogation. Regardless, the father and widower insists he's done nothing wrong. The thing I would never do if I didn't have my contact then would be open the door and walk outside. No, I would, in a heartbeat. Really? Yeah. Was to see what was going on. I don't really get what, I don't really like what y'all are saying, implying. Okay, I don't like it. Well, we're not, we're not trying to imply anything. We're trying to get the information that completes the story. I gave it to you. I, I've given y'all everything I've got. You've given us two different accounts. I can't help that. I didn't do anything wrong. Mr. Patterson. Yeah. We want to give you every opportunity to help us solve the problem. I have. You've given us two different versions. Okay. Well, that one was that night when I was out of my mind because my family had just been burned to death in a fire. Okay. I don't understand. understand. Listen, I understand that. But what we're trying to tell you is looking at the fire scene, looking at everything there, the fire either was roaring already when you came down those stairs. Yeah, it wasn't. There's no no indication from the scene that an explosion happened. So when you're saying you opened up that door, even if there was a leak, there was a gas leak. Ask my neighbor George. He said he got home three minutes Mm -hmm. before that. He said there was no smoke and no flames. There was nothing. And then all of a sudden, I asked him what he heard. Because that's what caused him to go outside. He may not have seen anything. That doesn't necessarily mean just because he didn't see anything that an explosion occurred. Oh, I know. There's no indications of an explosion. So what I'm trying to tell you is that fire always does the same thing. Mm -hmm. Because up and out must otherwise impede it. For there the fire to be as extensive as there was, there would have to be some kind of smoke or something going on when you came down the steps. Okay. Well, I told you what I know. Okay. If y'all want to keep talking to me, Okay, because y'all are implying things I don't like. I'm going to want to speak to an attorney. Okay? You're free to do that. Yeah, but I also want to leave. Okay, you're free to do that. But you know what? I, I will be glad to help you. 
I don't, you know what, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to. Mr. Patterson, we understand how traumatic this situation was. And like we said, you're free to go anytime we walk you out. Yeah. Whenever you're ready, just let us know. But this case, the only way, the only way it gets complete and we yeah. affirmatively figure out exactly what happened is to make science match. You know, I, I understand that. I understand, but, I, and, and I'm sorry. I was so out of my mind, okay, that night. Well, I've, like I say, I've interviewed yeah. hundreds, if not thousands of people yeah. at this point. I've listened to that interview over and over mm -hmm. and over again. And I your think, recall not, of information, yeah. your ability to calmly explain mm -hmm. things is there. I don't know what's different, because I don't remember. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So, you clearly believe what you told me is what happened. Yeah, I clearly. just want to make sure that is Clearly. Here. And let me make sure I understand. Yeah. You said you all went to bed around 8 o'clock. Yeah, went to bed at 8. You heard a loud noise about 30 minutes crash, later. Yeah. Um, you went, opened the bedroom door. Yeah, ran downstairs. Didn't see, hear, smell yeah. anything. You let the door open. Yep. Went down the stairs. Mm -hmm. Did not see, smell, hear mm -hmm. anything there. Opened the front door. Stepped outside. You heard a whoosh. No, not when I opened the door, I stepped outside, and then I heard the whoosh. Okay, when you opened the door. Yeah, absolutely. I opened the door, stepped outside, and, you know, looked around. What could I see? I'm blind without contacts. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you turned around. And I uh, tried to get back you in, and everything. It, in. Was a, it was a ball of flame. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was just like a, an inferno. Right. According to McClish, giving two different accounts of what happened could indicate deception. One of the whole reasons we had uh, an investigation, I mean, we, obviously any fire is going to be investigated, but he gave two different stories from what happened the, the night that it, the, the uh, fire occurred and then later on in his interview. And as you pointed out, he, he said, you know, now this is one I remember better. And so there is, a, he's telling us by that, I remember this better. He's telling us there is another story to be told. He wants us to believe he doesn't remember exactly everything he told the uh, interviewers, the, the first responders that night. Uh, but it does indicate there was another story that was told. And now the one he's telling us now, he supposedly remembers this one better than the one he told the night of the uh, fire. It was a little tricky in listening to the tape, but to me it sounded like he's, again, used the present tense verb open. He didn't say I opened, but I opened the door which again would indicate that perhaps it's not coming from memory. Uh, and he says it a second time, he uses the phrase, you know, which, you know, we don't know. Somewhat contradicts himself. I open the door, step outside, I heard the whoosh. Next time he says, stepped outside and looked around. So which is it, which is, which story is in chronological order? You know, just something as an interviewer we'd be asking about, you know, walk me through it again, exactly what you did, what you heard, what you saw. What he wants us to believe is that he tried to get back into the house, but he doesn't specifically state that, and I tried to get back in. Now, the word tried means he attempted something, wasn't able to accomplish it. But it have been better if he said that I tried to get back in the house. But said he said I tried to get back in and everything. Well, what does he mean by everything? I mean, what he wants us to believe is everything includes I couldn't get in the house, there was a big ball of flames, it was too hot. But it's something we definitely would ask more questions about. And again, we expect, you know, most uh, husbands who couldn't get back in the house to specifically state that I tried to get back in the house, but the flames prevent me from getting in. But he just kind of alludes to it. 
And then he does kind of pause in, in his statement. It was just it was just like an inferno. Um, of course, the word like means it wasn't exactly an inferno, but it was similar to one, which, you know, could be the case. Uh, but again, he pauses. He has to think about it, um, what, what he wants to say. And these are all slight indications that perhaps the story you know, is not coming from memory. Patterson also says he didn't do anything wrong. He did give some denials. He would say, I didn't do anything wrong. That's the only denial I heard him say. And in his mind, that might be a truthful denial. But what everybody is wondering is, did you set this fire? So the best denial is to say, I didn't do it, or I didn't set my house on fire. I didn't kill my family. That's what we're looking for. Did the person deny the act itself? But when people say, I didn't do anything wrong, well, they haven't denied the act itself. They haven't denied the issue, you know, at hand. And what about those contact lenses, the ones he said he never put in before running down the stairs? He said he couldn't see anything without his contacts in, which raises the question, then why did you come down the stairs and open the door if you can't see? And even one detective kind of addressed it by saying, you know, why just why open the door when I just like look out the window? You know, give yourself a little more protection there, see if you can see what's going on. And so it doesn't add up. And it's something we want to check on. Well, just how blind are you? He acted like he couldn't see anything. Maybe he could see, you know, something. As the detectives continue talking to Patterson, they pry, asking about not being able to save his family from inside the burning house, what he calls an inferno. You did talk about feeling guilty. Oh, yeah. And oh, guilt. my God, I couldn't get back in. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse. Nothing worse. It's helpless. You're helpless. Did you feel like, I know once you were outside the house, you felt you could not do anything? Oh, there's nothing I could do. When you were in the house, was there anything you felt like you could have done that you didn't do? There's nothing I could have done. No. I know that now. I've really, really struggled with that for, you know, the first few days. Mm-hmm. I know I couldn't have. It doesn't make it any easier on me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make me able to forgive myself. I even forgot that I yelled from get out, get out, get out until just right now. Yeah. I forgot that. Mm-hmm. So get out, please get out, please, please, please get out, get out. And I forgot I did that. I just remembered that. Do you think they could have hurt you? No, or no, what no, no. There's no way. Mm-hmm. But I had to get, you know, that was all I could do. There's nothing I can or could have done. And that's what, they, you know, when they find out the cause, I mean, I, I know it. Mm-hmm. I don't know the cause, but I know that it happened in that wall. <laughs> mm-hmm. Detectives tell Patterson that his story just doesn't add up. What we do in these investigations is try to look at a number of issues or a number of things that may come up. And, and one of the, the things that we have in this case that we have to reconcile to get to the end of the investigation is the difference between what you said the night of the fire. I don't remember what I said. I wasn't in my mind. You know, that's the problem. You know, I wasn't in my mind. I don't, you know, that's the problem. That night you said when you came down the stairs you saw fire in the house. Oh, okay, I did. Well, Well, you know, I'm not sure. I didn't think I did, but if I said it, because I don't, I was not in my mind. Why do you think you were that far out of your mind? The trauma was, of the yeah. incident? Oh, yeah, or the trauma. Because I couldn't get back in. No. Okay. I couldn't take drugs. <laughs> no, I'm not using it that. I'm just asking yeah. if that would tie your in. No, what, what, what it would be is I was so just incredibly destroyed because I couldn't save my family. Okay. And my nine-year-old daughter knew I would save her. Right. She knew I would. She just knew it. Right. 
But that's why, I mean, I didn't know there was a difference in what I said. (laughs) Generally speaking, when a person says, I don't remember, it's an indication, not an absolute, but an indication that perhaps they're withholding information. That's their way of trying to avoid giving us certain things. Now, if a person is recalling something that happened 25 years ago, yeah, that might be a legitimate statement. They don't remember everything, but or if a person has been traumatized. So again, just the fact he says, I don't remember, you know, we want to take a, a closer look at that. Now he says, I wasn't in my mind, um, alluding to the fact that, you know, I was traumatized. I don't remember everything. And then it could be the case, but it's something um, we want to recognize. Sometimes people use that phrase to withhold information. The question is, is Patterson withholding information or does he really just not remember what happened clearly from months earlier? And one of the things we've been racking our brains over, your first account, we took it on face value. We, we assumed you were being completely forthright with it. And then there's a second account that just really took us by surprise, your account today. Oh. Because dynamically, we don't see how it's possible that it could have happened that way. Well, they'll find out yeah. on Thursday when they come and they take the house apart. How could it not happen that way? I don't understand. Are you saying that I'm not telling the truth? I'm saying something's missing. Something's missing. What you're describing, we don't believe that it's possible you came down the stairs and there was no fire given to see what we see. We believe for you to, if everything happened the way you said it, and we took your statement on face value the first time, Mm -hmm. we took it on face value, okay, you come downstairs and there's fire in your home. Mm -hmm. Your living room's on fire. There's smoke in your house. I don't remember saying that. that I'm sorry. Tends to make some sense. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Pastor, well, basically what we're saying here is that fire acts a certain way. Yeah. And obviously there's different things that can cause a fire. Mm-hmm. What we're trying to say is that your initial statements is that you woke up because you heard a noise. Yeah, you I heard, heard a crash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You heard a crash, heard a noise. And I opened the door. But what made you open the door? Because that, the crash sounds like it came from outside. Outside the front of the house? Yeah. That's what it sounds like. It didn't sound like it came from in the house. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I understand. Um, I hear noises outside sometimes, or if I hear something pull up my driveway, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll go and look out the front window. Right. Is there a reason you you're, you have a window in your bedroom that faces the front of the house? Yeah, I couldn't get to it because where my kids' beds were. So there was mm-hmm. an obstruction there. Oh, yeah. Bed. You're, yeah, you're my kids, my, yeah, my kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, my kids. Okay, that makes sense. So you went downstairs, but when you went out the door and you're going downstairs, no smoke, no light, no nothing. No. Well, there's a light in there. Yeah, because there couldn't have been smoke. There's a light that's right there at the door. A light right there. Light fixture right there. And it was on. Yeah. Patterson's hesitation when answering the detective's questions, it's a clue to McClish. Well, what's important was, as you said, he said, I didn't. Well, I didn't what? I didn't see a fire or I didn't say that. Now, I believe this was a recorded conversation, so he can't refute it but the point is he just says i didn't he stopped short but he couldn't say i didn't see a fire and then he says uh well you know i'm not sure again it sounds like he's saying i'm not sure if i saw a fire i didn't think i did but if i said it because i don't i was not in my mind so again a lot of hesitation there unfragmented sentences and that's that was the, the whole rub is that he initially told them when he came down the stairs he saw a fire in the house then he changed the story. There was no fire, but when he opened the door, then he had this whoosh, and there was a big uh, ball of flames. Simple additional words in his statement, like the word even, 
indicate something to McClish. I don't remember is a much better statement, but extra words always give us extra information. And as you point out, he said, I don't even remember. And the word even indicates a contrast of ideas. It means in the person's mind, they're making a comparison. And so we want to realize they what they're doing, and then we try to find out what are they comparing. And he could be comparing, I don't remember with, I do remember seeing a fire, you know, when it came down the stairs. And so it's, you know, it could be, uh, he could be comparing something else, but it's something we want to pick up on and, and ask a few more questions about, you know, what's going on? What are you thinking about at this moment in time? And Patterson goes on to say that what he is telling investigators is his, quote, recollection now. The better answer would be to say, that's my recollection, or yes, that is correct. You know, that's my statement. That, that's my statement. But now he says, that's my recollection now. So the word now means earlier I had a different recollection, which was obviously the case because he had told the first responders that um, he did see a fire in his house as he came down the stairs. And so he can't uh, stick to it that, yeah, that's what happened. There was no fire um, when I came down the stairs. There was no smoke. And so he just says, that's my recollection now. Again, indicating earlier, I did have a different uh, recollection. Despite a massive investigation, Gwinnett District Attorney Danny Porter was unable to move forward with charges. There was a disagreement between the experts who investigated the case about what story the evidence revealed. The fire, the DA said, was of human origin, but because of the destruction of the property, they couldn't determine if the human cause was accidental or intentional. Porter said the nature of the case makes it challenging to prove because arson cases are just difficult. At least one of those experts was convinced the fire was arson. But a second expert told him, The way Brent described the fire the first time was at least possible, and it could have been an accident. Two experts hired by State Farm Insurance, quote, advised verbally that their investigation showed the electrical, mechanical, and natural gas sources have been ruled out as a possible cause of the fire. There is no known possible accidental source for the fire, end quote. The medical examiner ruled the cause of death as smoke inhalation and accidental. No charges were ever filed against Brent Patterson, and the case has officially been closed. However, the district attorney said he would reopen the case if more evidence or new witnesses came forward. What do you think about the interrogation in this week's episode? We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can visit us on Facebook at Inside the Crime Vault. Anything you say is a Vault Studios production. You can learn more about our podcasts, including Bartstown and The Officer's Wife, at vaultstudios.com. Special thanks to our expert, Mark McClish, for his help on this week's episode. Vault Studios executive producers are Adam Ostro and Will Johnson. For Vault Studios, I'm Eric Flack.